Hey, Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrilow, and I have another great guest lined up for you today. But before we enjoy a deep conversation together, I want to remind you why we're here. This podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, purpose, impact, and prosperity for all. We want to encourage you to think a little wider about your own life from your personal and professional development to also ask the question, how can I make a meaningful impact with my life? It's time for us to find a way to live in resonance with each other and all living things. And at Sacred Changemakers, we're here to help, to build the foundations of a more equitable, loving and resonant world. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Sometimes we'll be interviewing changemakers and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. But first, a word to our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Coaches Business School, the world's leading business training for coaches and consultants, helping them to succeed in business so that they can make a meaningful difference in our world. Go to coachesbusinessschool.com to get the tools, strategies, and frameworks you need to enjoy growing your business in a way that is more profitable, predictable, and purpose-driven. A big thank you to all of our coaches because without them, this wouldn't be possible. Okay, so today we have got a great conversation lined up. Our guest on the podcast this week is Sean Harvey, Chief Compassion Officer and Masculinity Guide at Symponia Men. Sean is contributing as a writer, speaker, and consultant to an emerging narrative around men's healing and transformation grounded in compassionate masculinity. Sean recently co-created a national coalition of experts developing a compassion-centered systems change model for police departments and federal law enforcement. Prior to launching Symponia, he served as the head of personal transformation and well-being for Eileen Fisher, and his upcoming book, Compassion Makes the Warrior, will be released April 2022. And our conversation title for today is one that really excites me. It's unlocking the healing power of men for societal systems change. So let me welcome Sean. Welcome, Sean. Hi, Jane. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, I'm excited to dig in with you. And I know we've only just met, but I have this sense of kind of a, a real energetic resonance between mm-hmm. us, Sean. So I'm excited to dive in. But let me start with a question that, um, you know, all of our listeners have just listened to your professional bio. And I'd love to kind of go beneath that a little bit and get you ask you to share something about you know, the real life human, the, the man behind the bio, who is he? You know, the, the, what, I, what I often say uh, is first and foremost, I'm a bunny dad. I'm actually a rabbit educator and I foster bunny rabbits, um, which is often very honest, <laughs> kind of out of the norm. But, uh, you know, I was, I remember reflecting on like what helped me become compassionate and um, actually, it's, um, I was in a room with 20 rabbits at the animal shelter one day and the, the silence of it, um, the silence in the room and yet the love, you know, and, and rabbits have really taught me how to be compassionate because they are independent as anything and won't listen. 
And then at the same time, the calmer that I am, the more they respond, the more energetic I am, the more they shut down. Mm-hmm. And there's something about just that, 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 uh, that connection that has just always been um, special to me. So uh, most people would not assume that I'm, I'm a rabbit dad. Uh, and, and at the same time, uh, you know, I, I think the other part of that is, um, you know, I have a tattoo. My first tattoo um, means uh, to be different or nonconformist. And I think I've often just rejected the mainstream idea and have always been in curiosity of what's possible when we go beyond the constraints of the shoulds and how we think we're supposed to be. And I think everything I'm doing at this point with the work around men um, as a minister um, and as an an organization development systems thinker is how do we challenge the status quo to really come into a different type of possibility? Mm. You know, it's so interesting of all the ways I thought you could answer that question. That wasn't one of them. I didn't even (laughs) know bunny dads existed. But I think that that's really interesting in a way because you just embodied there what you said at the latter part of your answer in that, you know, you it is to be different. And, and you are someone who has a very interesting, well, I'd say you've journeyed along a very interesting path that is kind of unique in some ways and brings you to this point in your life now like perfectly designed for you know the purpose and the mission that you're here to bring to the world and before we dig into that I'd love to ask you a little bit about that path that you've traveled I mean when you look back on it are there any kind of key milestones or turning points that you think have made you who you are today Hmm. so many Uh, I think first you know I was supposed to be a third generation long haul truck driver. That did not happen. Uh, I was also an androgynous kid growing up who, who started a gay and lesbian youth group for the city of Dayton, Ohio, when I was 16, creating mission and vision statements before I knew what I was doing. Right. And, and often when I, when I think about that, um, I'm, I'm someone who sees a need and then intuitively just kind of figures out how to, how to build community around that and hold space for that so that um, we're able to address that need. Mm. Um, So as someone who was bullied and um, ostracized, I I, I learned at an early age, I I had to, um, I I developed a certain set of coping tools and at the same time, a lot of unhealthy coping tools. And so there's a part of this story that for as successful as I became working on Wall Street, working at Eileen Fisher, um, later becoming a minister, I also struggled with sex and drugs and addictive behaviors to cope with my own core wounding, which was um, no one would ever want me. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the journey to get to even that, that, that tape that, that I developed a whole script for my life of how to live um, where I looked great on paper and I still kept and maintained an anemic personal life I didn't know how to build one. I knew that the only way that I could be valued in society was by, by really striving. And, and it was actually the, I think when I, I think the, the moment that life changed for me was having left Wall Street, having left being a college professor in the Ivy League, 
and, and go into work for Eileen Fisher. And on the, my first day, I had, a, I had an eight month interview process. And on my first day, my two bosses sat me down and they said, Sean, you have proven yourself in the interview process. Now we want you to stop proving yourself and learn how to be who you actually are. Mm. When you interviewed, you came in with your heart and your polish. We hired you for your heart and we want to see less of your polish. We don't care how smart you are. We want to know how you care. And we're going to help you in that process. So one, where do you hear this in corporate America? Two, how many guys hear this? And then three, how many guys work in a company that was built on feminine energy, feminine leadership, and the business model was feminine? And, and, And my journey and every man in the company, we all transformed unconsciously because there was a generous, compassionate spirit in the culture that allowed us to be who we are. It allowed us to discover the truth of who we are. And that's, that to me was where a lot of other people may experience, get, get this insight in other places. I was getting it in corporate America. And it was, I often say I became a minister because of my experience in corporate America, not anything else. Mm. That is so profound to be sat down on your first day at work and very clearly stating you know, a different style, a different energy, a different, feels like a different resonance to me of what they wanted from you. I mean, how incredible is that? And that's, that's all I could think when you were talking there. I was like, wow. But you said one of the things you do is you, you see a need, mm-hmm. like in society or whatever. So what do you see today? What's the need that you see that you're wanting to take a stand for? You know, the, the misnomer may be that I, I do men's work because I feel the need to do men's work. Mm. I do men's work because I'm called to do men's work, but it's really what, what I'm called to is as I see and as we experience the systems around us crumbling, you know, and I think the last several years have been indicating, and then I think the pandemic just took it to another level that, um, our systems are fragile, they are breaking down and they need to be not rebuilt, but reimagined. We don't need to rebuild systems on faulty, on faulty structures. We actually need to reimagine. And the only way I believe we can do that is through deeper consciousness and collective wisdom and elevating the voices of those who've not been in the original development of these structures mm-hmm. so that we're inclusive, we're conscious and we're creating deep connection and we're building systems, reimagining systems that are that are compassionate and built on love. Mm. The only way to do that, when I work that, when I work that, when I as a systems thinker, when I work backwards, where it leads me is um, men who hold the power, men who often don't see the don't have not been given the permission and have not been given the tools to be able to contribute to the reimagination of these systems because what it requires is for us to let go of ego what it requires is for us to let go of control and what it requires is for us to surrender into the not knowing which is not typical for most guys Mm. right and to move from data to intuition you know in so many organizations and so many systems i see that we have to keep proving through evidence-based research in the data 
And we can see how that's where that's taken us. I mean, it, it serves one purpose, but it's not complete. And I believe that um, in order for us to really do the work that needs to be done in reimagining the, the reimagining the systems, transforming culture, um, shifting the ways we think about power so it's no longer a competitive zero-sum game where we're in scarcity mindset, but we move into this place of abundance mindset that power can be distributed and, and, and be there and available to anybody who wants it. And then to, to really rethink and reimagine and reframe leadership models from this idea of fear-based control to love-based liberation and empowerment. You know, that, that is the vision that I see. And I believe that by doing this work with men, we can start to unlock um, and start to unleash a very different reality in our, in our world and in society and for our planet. Mm. So that's, that's what drives me. That's what I see as the need. And, you know, um, I, I just feel like I've been given this calling that this is the work. And, and people, people often say, Sean, you've got a choice. And I'm like, no, I don't. There, there's a reality, I think, and I talk to anyone who's on a spiritual path. Um, when, you have a, when you have a soul calling, you don't have a choice. Because right. <laughs> if, you, if you deviate from that path, your life is not going to be okay until you get on the path. Exactly. <laughs> and so you will get a lot of reminders to get back on the path. And the only way of life feels like it's in flow and in resonance and moving forward is when you actually walk authentically and you surrender into the path that you've been called to. And that comes from the place of tapping into the truth of who you are, into your spirit and, and being guided by your soul. So when you... There's so many things you said there that I want to speak to and inquire about, but um, you just said something there at the end, like tapping into the truth of who you are. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I have my sense of that, my felt kind of embodied sense of what that means to me. And I, I do work in this space with other people and I notice how so many people don't have any access it's like the door is completely like you know bolted shut mm -hmm. they really don't know how to go within so I'm wondering if there's anybody listening that might be feeling that way I'd love you to speak to that for a minute just sure. allow us to walk with you into what that is for you tapping into the truth of who you are <laughs> you know I think as I'm working on my book and, and so you actually um, described the book "Compassion Makes the Warrior." That was that was the title before before my publisher gave me a new title. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so the, the title of my book is is "Warrior Compassion: Unlocking the Healing Power in Men," and that requires surrender. That requires the door opener. And I just remember, I, I mean, when I first in one of my experiences on my journey, I was sent to this military complex um by my company to do a, a human interaction lab and that's where you basically can only talk you know you are the lab your human interaction is the lab and, and you you deepen your emotional intelligence and awareness and social intelligence from the interactions and i remember distinctly getting that message and hearing it yet one more time you can't love someone else until you love yourself and I said, where's the freaking roadmap to love yourself? Because I don't know how to do it. 
I do not know how to love myself. I don't know what that means. It's this great platitude, but what does that mean? This book, I believe, is actually a roadmap because I, I, I believe most of us don't have a roadmap. We, we talk a good game with all of these slogans, right. but, but do we actually know how to do it? And are we actually going to admit we don't know how to do it because everyone's telling us to do it? And that's what this book is about. It's like it's giving men a roadmap in. I think then the how, I think a couple of things. One, you know, this stuff isn't as, as complex as we make it out to be. And yet it's very complicated. It's, it's still complex, but there's a simplicity to it, which is one, we just need space to be able to be free to just speak our truth and to speak what's up for us without feeling guilt or shame or what have you. And so one, how do we build community where we can go deep and we can be authentic? And I think that's really important for men to have that. The way I describe it is, are we creating spaces that are, that are safe enough for men to ugly cry in front of each other and be held, be accepted, and that it's not a big deal? The second thing is, do we learn how to listen? Can we learn how to listen um, to ourselves? Do we, can we learn how to listen to our bodies? Can we learn how to listen to the emotions that are coming through? And can we learn to listen to our spirit? I think that the, we talk about active listening versus deep listening. I think taking deep listening even further into how do we listen to ourselves, not just other people. Mm. The third thing, you know, the first chapter of the roadmap is um, seeing the world with childlike wonder. We as adults need to learn how to play again. <laughs> and, and I think play, I was sent to an artist commune for five months in Canada by, by that same company to learn how to incorporate the arts into creative facilitation. And the idea is if we, you know, the truth of who we are, when we were born, when we came out of the womb, the truth of who we are was intact until society and our parents and, and all the messaging and conditioning beat it out of us until, so we, we lost touch with play, imagination, you know, we didn't, we didn't have bias. We didn't have all these things. We didn't know hate. All we knew was curiosity. If we can, if we can go in the, in the journey back to that place and get curious as opposed to feeling like we have to have the answer because the insecurities by social conditioning tells us we have to look a certain way. We have to be a certain way. We, there's just, there's so many shoulds in the equation. And if we're operating from the shoulds, then we have developed an identity for ourselves that we live into. And the ways we don't measure up to that identity are often the places where we experience shame. And we're so afraid to tap into shame that we lose perspective on what's real. And so I think that's part of the opportunity is to learn to listen, be in community, and then learn how to play together and then allow us to take our masks off, allow us to take, move out of our constructed identity, get real, get raw, and be held in that. And that anything that we are is accepted. That's, that's the experience I had at Eileen Fisher. I mean, I was, I pretty much had all three of those things happening, which, which took me on the journey. And as the more I got curious was the more that I started to discover more about myself discover the things that I rejected, um, the things that I wouldn't allow myself to touch, be, wouldn't allow myself to tap into because that wasn't acceptable and moving out of the acceptability. And as someone who was a college professor of management who worked in consulting as, as 
in, in organizations for 20 years, who worked on Wall Street uh, and now works with cops. Uh, I gotta say, I, I kind of have a, I have a thing about understanding <laughs> the masks we live in, the masks that we identify, the constructed identities we created. And that permission, that permission is so key to say, you know what? You can take off that mask, you can yeah. get curious and you can start to discover who you are. Yeah. Did I answer your question? You did. And what's interesting for me, there's kind of a paradox here in what you're, what, so what you're saying and then how you're saying it, which is that you sound so, like you sound like a real authority in this space. You sound to, so together, like you figured everything out. And yet here you are talking about like, you know, ugly crying and getting radical and raw. So my question to you now is, if we were to have a, like a radically raw conversation, mm. Sean, because I'm viscerally aware right now that I'm a podcaster <laughs> talking to you and I'm aware of that mask and I'm aware of that persona and I'm aware of me being all together and interviewing you. And I'm like, no, I want to go there. Mm. What, what's the raw conversation for us to be talking about? What's that? You know, I think it's where you started beyond the resume. Yeah. What, what, um, who are you? Yeah. Giving people permission, you know, in any, in any space that I hold, I have one agreement that I swear by. There are no elevator pitches in anything that I, that in any right. space I hold. I, and I always say, I, I'm, we are more curious to hear who you are than what you do. We assume you're smart. We know you're great. We don't need you to tell us that. We don't need you to tell us your title. We don't need you to tell us your credentials, your accomplishments, or the latest project that you're involved with, or that you're busy. We get all that. Yeah. When we take that layer out, then it's, okay, so who, what's left? For me, I, I didn't know how to answer that in the very beginning. Because I was, my career was who I was. My achievements were who I was. Mm. And and I want to comment to what you just said earlier. Even in being an authority, I don't feel that. I don't hold that. Because, you know, and and I talk in the book about my struggles, my struggles with sex, my struggles with addiction, um, with drugs. Um, the 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 views I have even that I shared my my core wounding tape because I don't think I, I think we get into this this perfectionistic ideal and we want to tell people what to do well first of all none of us know the freaking answer to anything <laughs> thank you so let's, just, let's, let's just let's just say that I, I mean yeah. none of us know the answer especially with the way the world's changing right now let's yeah. let go of that Let's be in inquiry, let's be in curiosity, and let's be in, let's just talk about the fact that we don't know anything, no matter how smart we are or how educated we are. And then let's start to see what types of answers start to emerge when we engage people in that level, Mm. right? And I also think it's important as I'm giving a road, as I'm offering a roadmap for men, I I say I'm offering a roadmap of inquiry, not a prescriptive answer, because there are no answers. And what looks what what this work looks like for one man versus another man, a black man versus a white man versus a gay man versus a non-binary man versus a trans man versus a father versus someone who's single versus someone who's in their masculine versus someone who's in their feminine who elevates one versus the other. We all come at this very differently. (laughs) 
I, you know, and from a Latino culture to an Asian culture. So let's not say there's one prescriptive answer for how we do this. Right. The flip side of it is, you know, and also we don't need more saviors out there telling us the way. We need people who have been in the struggle to say, this is the way that worked for me. And hopefully that can offer insight for you as you're on this path and you're on this journey. I often find a lot of people that are in this work want to stay on the deep end and be with all the deep people, all the folks who are deep. And I said, don't we have a responsibility when we have learned how to swim to the deep end to swim back to the shallow? Yeah. to bring other people into the depths that are they're most comfortable in, but, but, but to go to the depths that are going to make them uncomfortable enough for the transformations within them to happen. Right. So I don't quite know how to answer your question, but I think, <laughs> I think good. in terms of like, in terms of like what we would talk about real, I, you know, you know, I, I would say this. Everything's about energy. Right. Everything is about energy. I mean, when I, I, part of what I'm known for in my circles is the community of people that I can bring together and the conversations that happen when they come together. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to keep it real and I tend to keep it pretty authentic, which then is an energetic connection to those who are energetic and real. What I found is when we keep it superficial or when we keep, when we stay in our mode of the identity that we want people to project, that's what we attract in. And we're going to keep it at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a single guy, same thing when I'm dating, when I, you know, if I want something deep, I'm going to attract depth. If I want something superficial or shallow, I'm going to attract that. The last thing I'll say is when we keep the conversations in the head, we're going to stay in the head. When we come to the conversations from the heart, we're going to open up the hearts of others in the space. A lot of people coach me, give me unsolicited feedback on how I'm supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Sean, you got to speak to men in a way that they can hear. Cause that's when they're going to buy into it. I'm like, isn't that what got us into the, into trouble in the first place? Because we water things down because we're afraid to offend men and take them to a place um, that they're not going to be able to hear. So the first thing I say is, one, can we just stop underestimating what men are capable of? Hmm. And second, in the work, in, in all the conversations I'm in, can we stop talking to men through the head? What is, what is it like when a man speaks from a heart to, a man, to another man's heart? He may not understand what's going on in the head, but his heart will know and his heart will gravitate to someone who's actually speaking to him from a place of, I hear, I see you, I hear you, I get you. And I know the experience and the pain. And so many men are struggling in, 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 in silence because they're not allowed to have these conversations. They don't feel like they can have these conversations, the real conversations, especially in the way the world is changing so fast. And so I think in order to say, I get the pain, I've, I've had the pain, I'm, I'm on the other side of the pain. And I want, I want to create the space and an invitation. I'm not, not a mandate. You don't need to change because you're broken. That's the first thing. Let's stop saying that men need to change because they're broken, because no one is broken, but we are all wounded because we're human and every human is wounded in some way. Yet because of, the, because of masculinity, many men have, um, have not developed the tools to handle this. And that's why we see that men operate 
with higher rates of suicide, addiction, loneliness, um, and, and mental and depression. It's so much of it is not addressed that so many men are suffering in silence. And so many of us play into the roles that we've been given, be it the high achieving provider, be it the jock, be it the, um, the sexual magnet, whatever that is, we, we, we have a limited number of roles that we can play into. And often we're going to do our best because that's going to give us validation because for so many men, we are getting that validation externally, as opposed to being able to go internal and give ourselves the love that we need. And I think that's the missing thing here is how do we support men and learning, discovering the truth, giving permission to discover the truth of who they are. And then more importantly, learn to love the truth of who they are in all aspects. Oh, I see. I've got goosebumps over here. <laughs> I'm just like smiling as you're speaking. Um, and I, I, as you were talking, I'm actually thinking about my son who has just turned 20 and is, it's so interesting that of course he's, he grew up initially in England, then we moved to America. So he ha- does have, and we did that very intentionally to give him a global mindset, but he He's he's very bright, he's very intelligent, kind of, you know, great GPA, great grades, leaving high school, but has not gone to college. And the reason he's not gone is because he doesn't want to debt. And as he says it, I don't want to play that man's game. Like the man's game that's alive and well in corporate America is not me, mom. It's not me. And I don't want a debt for something I don't know. And I don't know who I am or what I'm passionate about yet enough to know what I want to invest in for myself. So until I do, I'm not going to step forward on a path and I'm just going to see life and listen to life. And he's doing all kinds of things. But like, I get that even in what I would consider my parenting to have been quite conscious and intentional, he's still coming out of this very confused by the world that he's coming into and not sure what role is his to play. So I love that you're doing this work because it's so needed. But here's my question. Like I see the need, I know the need, I feel the need, I've worked with enough men and I've been a woman in a man's world for at least 25 years. I feel like the last five more more integrated, but definitely I've been the lone woman very often. So I've worked with enough men to know that what you're saying is absolutely true. Mm. And I wonder, so I want to ask you, like, what's the appetite for this kind of work with men today? Great question. Um, I think it's greater than you think. Mm, I, I have a sense it is. I actually have an intuitive sense that it is. At the, at the same time, I think we've been doing it. We're, we're, you know, I'll say it a couple ways. So I came to this work when I was on the artist commune. Uh, I came to this work when I was in Barcelona. And I talk about this in the book strung out on drugs, getting this message that as men, we have not been socialized to socialize in healthy ways. 
Right. You know, it's all part of it. This is, yeah. There's just so many little snippets of, of what's brought me here. But I'll be honest, when I left Wall Street, I left Wall Street to go to work for Eileen Fisher so I'd never have to work with men again. <laughs> and then being at the Island irony. Fisher, right. Well, this is all irony. You know, and what I've what I've learned is when you follow your spiritual call, you're usually being asked to do the thing you want least to do. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. I when I realized I was supposed to work with men, I was like, Are you serious? That's what I have to do. <laughs> but um, but when I started to see how, when I started to see the permission that I had, and when I started to see, um, you know, when I started to see just the, the way we're approaching this now, we approach this from, you know, one, masculinity is bad, manhood is bad, everything yeah. needs to change. Well, that's not going to bring guys in. No. Then there's, there's gender equity. The right thing to do is not necessarily going to be a, an impetus, mm-hmm. right? And then we talk about allyship. That's great, but that's behavior change. And I'm not, I'm not diminishing any of it. But I knew when I got this call that this was the work at the deeper level transformation that we don't talk enough about. And I was heading a personal transformation and I saw how men were being transformed, how women were being transformed, how those outside the binary were being transformed by asking you to look at the deeper work. And so, and men would say, I didn't know this was available. I didn't know I could do that. Wow. I didn't know this about myself. So I think one is, is, is permission. And then two is access. And three is to understand that many women have channels to be able to do this. Men don't have as many channels. But when men have the channels to do this, it's like, wow, this, this is possible. And I think when you can do it in a space that where there's not going to be judgment, we can do it in a space where it's really going to get real. And when you give, do it in a space where the tools are actually going to create deeper level transformation. And I think, you know, honestly, most of our leadership development initiatives kind of take more of a superficial approach. We don't, I always hear like, we can't go there. We can't do this. Mm-hmm. It's like, in reality, that's where we have to go. And that's what yeah. we're going to have to do in order for the systems to actually have some humanity. And, you know, we talk yeah. about, you know, we talk a lot about human centered workplace design, which I think is an amazing concept. Yeah. But I often ask, so if you have 30,000 employees, have you, have you adjusted your systems enough that when 30,000 people bring their true authenticity into the space and speak their truth, that that's going to be acceptable. And you're not going to say that's culturally inappropriate and not who we are. So I think it's, it's to really ask yourself if you are going to move, I feel like we're moving this direction to more liberated organizational systems, but are we really doing the work on ourselves because I think we can't do we can't do the systems change work until we do the work on ourselves. Once we do the work on ourselves, we're going to see the organization, the world, and ourselves very differently. Mm. Then we then we can start going into the systems change work that's required. But until then, I mean, and same thing with diversity and inclusion and belonging efforts. We're we're talking about awareness and behavior change. We're not talking about heart change. We're not talking about I understand this. The only way I'm going to do the heart change around the ways I'm inclusive is when I can look at the ways I'm disconnected from myself 
and the ways that I am limited and, and where I have fear, anger, resentment, and hate in my heart, if I can't look at that first and I can't discover how to love myself, then, you know, whatever, whatever ways I don't like myself, because I'm not measuring up to my own standard that I've internalized from external conditioning, I'm going to project that onto other people. So until I can find the, 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 the wholeness and the love and the acceptance of all parts of me, I'm going to be looking at the, for the faults in others. And I'm going to say that they are either other, or I am better than, or I am worse than. So I think this is the opportunity that if we can do the personal transformation work and the, and do the depth work and the healing work of our own wounds, that's when we're going to actually be able to create the real systems change that we want to see in the world. As you're speaking, I'm noticing something which is really interesting. And that is that on the Sacred Change Makers podcast, of course, I've talked to lots of people who are really making a meaningful difference in the world. And I'm noticing that most of my guests, if not all of them, except for you, are trying to inspire change, lasting change through dealing with a minority perspective. Mm -hmm. You, on the other hand, I've almost turned everything upside down. You said, okay, the majority, let's, let's deal with men. Because in many ways, they're, they're the antithesis of a minority mm. in many ways. And of course, there are minorities nested within there. I get that. But generally speaking, you've almost gone right to the heart of the matter. You've said, if we can shift the majority, then of course, we get real sustainable change and, and as you're talking I'm thinking gosh if we really if you succeed in your work and your calling Sean then what that means is all the minority things just the ripple goes out yeah. so I love that you've taken this very different approach it's bold because <laughs> it's bold because you're you're hitting the ego like as I would see it right where it is being celebrated, where it is being like um, valued, you're hitting it like right in the bullseye in a way <laughs> and saying, actually, no, that's what you think it is, is not what it is. We need to reconnect you at this deeper level of consciousness to yourself because then and, and kind of deprogram the socialization stuff that has created you or who you think you should be. Mm -hmm. And when we actually pair it all back, if, you're, if you allow your authentic self to come through then, and what I'm hearing is that the open heart, the, the open soul, the, the love will flourish. Yeah. And you won't be able to tolerate the things that you tolerate today because we tolerate them because it's the construct it's the games that we think we're playing and I love how you're almost I'm going to say undermining that like you're kind of going beneath it and saying actually let's take a look at this that's all you're saying you're not saying I have the answer you're saying let's just like take a look let's just peer underneath <laughs> And, and let's make it safe to peer underneath. Yeah. Let's create the conditions that allow us to explore 
in, in a very different way. I mean, my yeah. world, my world from being a college professor at Cornell, NYU and Baruch and working on Wall Street and then going to work for Eileen Fisher, my whole world turned upside down. I said, but I'm a systems thinker. And I'm like, oh, this, <laughs> there's all these ripples <laughs> that are happening because the system itself is just different. And, and, and we often talk about developing enlightened leaders and coaching people, but we're not addressing the system that will beat them down every time they try to bring an enlightened view. Because most of our systems have been built on a purely masculine model that is devoid of emotion and devoid of heart. Mm-hmm. And what we really need is to reimagine these systems from the best of the masculine and the best of the feminine. So it's a head heart balance. Mm-hmm. And then we need to bring in a soul, the soul, which is the truth that provides each of us with an inner compass to navigate a world that's trapped, changing and, and evolving so rapidly, none of us can keep up. Yes, and I love the integration you're speaking to there. It's one of the reasons why for me personally, uh, you know, in being in leadership development for many decades now, I get pulled into women's leadership, feminine leadership. It's not the work that I like. I, I like, I, I don't see feminism particularly as like uh, male bashing. Like I, that's not it for me. But I do feel it's almost like I love that quote and, you know, our podcast listeners will have heard me say this before, I'm sure, because it is one of my favorites, which is out beyond the field of right and wrong, there is a field, I'll meet you there. That's yeah. what I feel about masculinity and femin- feminist kind of tendencies is we need to come into balance, like you say, and it's not about men and it's not about women. It's about those energies within us and how we allow them expression in the world, which of course then means we either create this system, which is more masculine dominated or this system, which is more feminine, but really what we really need is to take the best of both. So I love that you're speaking to that. And I want to ask you something because it's bubbling up for me and depending on what day it is, I can feel very strongly about this or, or not. It's one of those things I flip flop around and I'd love to get your sense of it, which is, I don't know what my belief is about whether we can deconstruct the masculine power base that we currently have in capitalist societies in, in the West, particularly. I, some days I think absolutely. And like, I can, you know, really buy into everything that you're saying. And then there's other days where I, like something might happen with a, with a client or a CEO, male CEO, and they just come back with almost like the devil's advocate, like, like what the hell, like, we can't do that. Hey, we don't talk about that. That's not what we do. I was having a conversation recently about trust. And this guy gave me almost like, it was almost like, oh, bless Jane, you're so naive. Like we don't, it was a merger and acquisition and the, the two teams didn't trust each other that were meant to be merging these two organizations together. And he just came to me and he said, look, I don't trust Simon. I don't trust the team. I can't do anything. And right. I have a belief that we can build that trust. Then let's look, let's look at what conversations we need to have to start inspiring deeper connection and trust between the two. And he yeah. just looked at me and dismissed me and said almost like, oh Jane you're so sweet but (laughs) right we don't trust and if we don't trust then we will never trust and I just thought when you come up against those they're so certain 
of what is and isn't. They're so certain of what is possible and is not possible. And I sometimes feel as a woman with this message, I don't always have, I sometimes wish I was male because I think I would have a different relationship with certain individuals if that was the case, because they right. won't listen. Right. And it's, it's interesting because it's like, what's your sense of that? Do you believe we can deconstruct and reimagine? <laughs> well, of course you do, you're doing this work, do. but... <laughs> Well, you what's know, your sense of it? You're you're asking. I think you're asking the question. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So is a it possible? Days, I had a conversation with Marianne Williamson one day, mm. and we were talking about um, you know a lot of what she does. You know, I'm speaking to men. Right. And she said, I, "But I said, you know, I went to one of your events in New York, and it was 85 percent women. How do we bring more men in?" And she's yeah. like, "You know." It's interesting, men would come up to me and say, uh, I can't hear your message. Mm. And when I said, how do we reach more men? She's like, Sean, that's not my problem, that's yours, <laughs> that's your calling. Mm -hmm. and, and the reality is, um, this is why I believe men need to be holding men in this. Yes. Because it's gonna be very easy to discount a woman. Yes. In doing this. Um, and, and I think the other part of it is, you know, I moved, I moved from New York to Asheville, North Carolina to Washington, DC. Why I'm in Washington, DC, people ask me, do you enjoy DC? I'm like, I don't know yet, but I know I'm supposed to be here. And why I'm supposed to be here is because I'm bringing this work to the, the, the root of the power center right. that, that has a ripple effect national, locally, nationally, and internationally. And this is probably one of the most hyper-masculine regions in the US. <laughs> Right. When you think about the intelligence community, the military community, the security community, um, cybersecurity. And um, so it makes sense to me why I'm here. I had to go for nine months. Like I was called first from New York to, to Asheville to, to be in the mountains alone for nine freaking months. It was pure. It was hell. But it was where I was doing my spiritual grounding and healing post-seminary. Mm -hmm. And the way the universe works, it just brought me down there so that by the time I came to DC, I could see the game for what it was and realize that I can't play the game. Had I gone from New York to DC, I would have immersed myself right in the game. Right. And I would have gotten lost. So I hold a distance in DC and, and, and I strive and I work every day to be the embodiment of the counterculture. Right. Again, this is energy. I've been talking about this work for the last five years. How many people do you think have objected to what I'm talking about? You know, it's, well, I'm not, well, it zero. could go either. Yeah, I was just going to say, the more I step into my boldness in the counterculture, the more people whisper to me that that's exactly what they need, want, believe. And, and sometimes they're still whispering it, but I've yeah. not had any, I thought I would have huge resistance and I haven't. So I get when you say none, none I get it. None, not one. And I am talking to hyper-masculine, straight, conservative, Republican, yeah. Yeah. like everything I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and at the same time, I hold each person I connect with, with love, compassion, and an energy of possibility. Yeah. And, and so this is not, I am not coming in saying we have to do this because we have to change something. I come in at this saying, what if 
we saw this from another perspective. What if I hold you and I, and I understand where you're at right now, but I also know that's not where you have to end up. And I see your human potential and I see your possibility and I see the collective possibility. When I go into organizational systems, the first thing I do is I've I've been around long enough. (laughs) I've been doing this work long enough. I've been in corporate America long enough that I see people in their humanity. I don't see them in their role. Their roles don't impress me. What, you know, I don't get intimidated by a CEO. I don't get intimidated by a very powerful person because I am seeing them in their humanness, in their humanity. And I think if we can approach that, because when you, when you walk in in fear, people feel and sense that when you, when you walk in in resentment, people feel and, and hold that when you walk in with love, people feel that when you walk in with an intention that I am here to offer you an invitation, not a mandate, people feel that. So that's the first thing we have to do as a change agents is we have to clear our own vessel so that we are walking in with a purity of our intention. Mm-hmm. And we're, so if I was coming in and, you know, work I do with, with um, police, the question I ask my team, how do we hold officers and community members and Black Lives Matter movement with the same love and compassion so that we're not, we're not energetically bringing in an energy that is, uh, which was ironic with the siren, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how we are bringing in an energy where the person on the other end is going to feel, well, if you're in their camp and you're not in my camp. So how do we hold that? I am in all camps. Same thing in organizations. Organizations create a lot of trauma for people. There's a lot of wounding that comes from this that we don't talk about. So to be sort of an, of like an organizational expat in, in some ways <laughs> and to go, I know what is created in these organizations. I know the challenges. And I also know that there's a radically different way that we can look at how organizations can operate, how leaders can operate. And, and, but the first is for you to get back in touch with your own humanity so you can see the organization, organizational system from another way. Mm-hmm. So I don't really get pushback on this. I get questions. I get cynical questions. I don't get pushback. And I think as we, as we look at the organizations, a high level executive, but really the issue is is less about the high level executives. The challenge often comes when we come to middle management who have been given the least amount of attention. It's the new leaders, it's the senior leaders, and it's, it's the middle, middle management leaders who are like getting most of the brunt of everything and are often the ones saying, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. If we can hold them with that compassion, if we can talk about, let's talk about the realities in the system. Why is it not working? And then just say, come with me on this journey. Come with me in this experimentation. Come with me on an adventure to say, let's not think about the incremental change. Let's not think about the, you know, the next flavor of the month that, that will, will, will shift with the next leader that, that you report to or, or what have you and say, let's, let's actually have a disruptive conversation to say, what if the system looked radically different? What could that do? What possibility is created and, and come in from that perspective? 
Hmm. Yeah. It makes me go to, what if the world looked radically different? <laughs> what would that look yeah. like? I'd well, love that... you to share your, your kind of ideas of what a better world would like, look like for you, your, your kind of vision for that. What, what, what's this in service of? Oh, my God, I love that you said it that way, because that's what I say. I, I always <laughs> ask the question, what is this in service of? <laughs> this is in service of a world that is more conscious, more compassionate, and more connected, breaking down the silos of isolation and Lone Ranger syndrome, breaking, you know, having us be in healthier relationship with ourselves, with each other, and to have a deeper connection with the truth within ourselves. So we have that inner compass to see and make decisions from a place of compassion where we are, we, where we are bringing, um, you know, and, and when you think about compassion, compassion is not something that's weak, hence warrior compassion. It actually is a fierce energy that we are recognizing, we are aware of, and we are preventing the suffering of others and ourselves. That's an action. You know, that is not something that's weak. And that the only way to do this and see the world differently is if we tap into a deeper consciousness by tapping into that inner compass, tapping into that mess, those messages from within that are telling us this is the way forward because we're, we're tapping into either a force within us, you can call it your spirit, you can call it your soul, you can, you can talk about it through the connection with the divine. Um, but it is that, and, and it's that connection that we have, that deeper consciousness that we have, that we are connected to all living things, all people, and the planet, and that there is a relationship that our actions will have an impact on others, um, and their impact will have their, their actions will have an impact on us, and we are all interconnected. So I think that to be able to raise that awareness, to be able to come into the healing that each of us is, is capable of. You know, I often say, men, there is a role for you to play in the emerging future. But what we need is the healing version of you, not the wounded version of you. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, I talked to when I, when I was starting out this journey, we were talking, I was talking to a minister of mine. And we talked about the need um, of, of the the inner healing work and even bringing it to like say social justice warriors right. you know so so often social justice warriors are coming from a place of compassion because they know they know the hurt that's created by injustice yet when we operate from a place of wounding we are screaming at the top of our lungs we are demanding and we are often this is often can be this work can be based on judgment it has to look a certain way we have to fix this thing if we come from our, from a, then that's often from a wounding place. And when we are coming from a wounding place, no matter the best of our intentions, we're going to bleed on everyone around us. But flip side of it is if we come from a healing place, then we can have compassion that you're not where you, you are not where I am, but I want to respect and honor the journey you've been on. I want to respect the healing, the wounds, those things that have, have brought you to this place where you have hate in your heart, I want to have compassion for that. So that let's all bring everybody along together, as opposed to including some and excluding others, um, and judging others and demanding others to change. 
because that's not going to be the way that actually is going to motivate someone if we understand motivational theory for them to actually create the interchange that they need to be able to show up in the world that's going to be a better place. As you're speaking, I'm almost feeling like, so this is what's rising up in me, is this is not just our opportunity. I almost believe this. Well, I think I would say this. So I'm going to be bold and I'm going to say it. I be think bold. This, is, I'm, this is our responsibility of our time to do this work on yeah. ourselves first so that we become the people who can change the world. Exactly. Yeah. And I would, I would go that far. It's a responsibility we have. When, when I, mm. there was a week, so there's two things <clears throat> in my circles from um, a dear, a dear friend of mine often says the term, we are, we are operating at the speed of reckoning at the moment. The speed of reckoning is many of us that are the guides, the coaches, the facilitators, the light workers, we are all, we may notice like, wow, a lot's changing within us right now. We are being prepared for the reckoning work of our society, the evolution of our species, the evolution of our planet. This, we are at that breaking point time in this lifetime. We have chosen to, to be born in this lifetime to be the agents of change. When I, there was a moment when I kept, there was a week, and so that's why everything is happening at such an expedited rate right now. And I, there was a week when, like every question basically I was getting implicitly or explicitly was basically like, who's your audience? And I was like, yeah. no, I, I'm forgetting <laughs> the fact that I've been, I've been developing and training change agents for 20 years as a consultant and as, 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 a, as a professor. I was like, that's what I do. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm, uh, I think I'm speaking to the change agent within every man. <laughs> Right. And then basically then working with the women and those beyond the binary to say, and, and, and basically opening up the door for all of us to tap into our inner change agent. And then someone said, you know, that that's actually their spirit, right? You, you're basically speaking <laughs> to the spirit of each person so that we're not, we're not being the change agent for our career. We're right. being the change agent for the truth of our soul's call and the way the divine has developed us to be the person we are supposed to be to create change in the world as we are supposed to do it. We are basically talking about the change that each of us is, is, is in, within our destiny. Right. And for us to do the healing work, to be able to activate that peace within ourselves, to be able to bring forward a new reality for our society. 100%. Um, I'm so with you and, uh, you may not know this, Sean, but two years ago, I saw I'm also a channel for spirit. I channeled, a, I don't know what you'd call it really. It felt like a story. It was called a sacred invitation. And it came to me in May, 2019. And I've since been sharing it with people. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's almost like an ancient story about calling in the souls for the mm. changes that the world needs right now. And I'll certainly share it with you after this. And I'll put it in the notes for everyone in case they've not seen it. But I am so with you. I really believe that we, if we're on the earth today, if we're alive, no matter what our education level, our access to anything really, wherever we are, we're there for a reason. And I think it's down to us to inhabit ourselves fully 
so that we can listen to our lives and be guided to the full expression of our purpose in this lifetime. I totally get that. And that's what I just heard you say. And I hope you don't mind me paraphrase it phrasing, but yes, like with capital letters, Sean, yes. (laughs) Can I add something? Yeah, please do. So, you know, I, I believe there at this point in the journey, I believe there's no accidents. Right. I believe that there's no accident that I was sent to Asheville, North Carolina after seminary, after New York. Right. I'm also part Cherokee and right, you know, basically 40 minutes from Asheville is the chair is the Eastern band of the Cherokee reservation of the Cherokee yeah. people. And so, and I lived with a shaman uh, in Asheville and when I did my Ted talk, um, I actually didn't get my Ted talk speech until the day before. Like I, I, I couldn't come up with my Ted talk. I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't have the words. And so I, um, the day, two days before, I'm like, you know what? There's only two things I can do right now. Like <laughs> the words are not coming. Like I knew the ideas, I didn't have the words. And so I'm like, let me go to the river and then let me go to the reservation. Mm-hmm. So that night, I, the, the, the French Broad River in, in, in Asheville is considered the second or third oldest river in the world. And so I'm like, ancient wisdom, let me go there. Mm-hmm. Then I went to the reservation and I just called in. I said, I called in my ancestors and I just said, you know, give me the words of wisdom I'm supposed to share. I kid you not, the next morning, it's four in the morning. I, I'm in it, I'm, I'm, I'm asleep, I'm having a dream. And then I start dreaming the talk. I was like, oh, this is the talk. And I woke <laughs> up and I, and I went to my computer and I typed up my, my TED talk within two hours. I'm like, here it is. I'm like, so this is the day before the talk. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to remember this. I'm not even going to try <laughs> to memorize right. this. I'm just going to, it's just going to be channeled. Yeah. So I didn't really think about it that day. Then the next morning I woke up the day of the talk and I just, I, I wake up and I'm like, my instincts were like, okay, Sean, go back to the reservation and this time do a real deal. Just calling all your ancestors to be with you today. So I did. <clears throat> and as I was leaving the reservation, it's like a 15 mile drive from the main road to the reservation. So you're driving through the Smoky and the, and the Blue Ridge Mountains and basically coming up. And as I do that, um, I get this hit and it's like, call your landlord, call uh, her name's Carol and just ask her, she'll do a blessing. So I did. And so she came a half an hour before I was scheduled to do my recording. And she didn't come down to do a blessing. She brought the shamanic drums and we did like <laughs> calling in the spirits from all six directions. Yes. And, and so, um, yeah. so called in the ancestors, called in the spirits. I still don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> and, and then, um, but she pointed. So Asheville is also that region is, is where the Trail of Tears started. Mm-hmm. And so she said, um, she, after, we did, after we called in in all six directions, um, she said, look to the north. She's like, she could see. She's like, that is a Cherokee warrior um, who said, this work is the healing work from, the, from, from, from our time, from the Trail of mm-hmm. Tears. This is going to create healing for generations. Uh, I, I lost it. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, to, to, to get the messages from many spiritual guides of the magnitude that this work will hold yeah. and to start living into it with humility. Mm. Right. There's no way to hold this from the place of ego. This is all surrender. Yeah. And this is the, this is where I'm like, I'm just a vessel that's been called by spirit to do this. I am not, this is not about my intelligence. This is not about, um, anything other than I've just been called to do this and I am stepping up to, to hold it. But um, when I think about, to your earlier point, one of the things to do is to, is to also tap into the traditions and the wisdom of, 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 industrious, of the indigenous communities. Yeah. You know, and where we can find and tap into um, the truth as a, you know, and not taking over or stealing from it, but, but knowing that we have to honor that wisdom because it is going to give us, continue to give us the pathway into our own healing, our own, um, the, to, to tap into the forgiveness that we need to do for the atrocities um, of this country in particular around what we did to indigenous communities and to um, slavery and to how we've treated immigrants and how we're holding and treating immigrants today that if we are truly the land of the free, we have to be able to speak a, a truth to that, account for it, and then make sure that we don't do it as we don't do it going forward. And that is where I see some of the, the vision for this work. Mm. I almost don't wanna talk. <laughs> it's like I'm in some kind of, I don't know. It's just what the way you speak about your work, your calling, everything that you're up to in your life just feels so resonant. I mean, there isn't another word for it for me because I mean so much when I say that word, like energetically aligned, it just feels on point, on purpose. It feels all of those things. And I don't doubt for one minute you are, truly called into this space and I also don't doubt that you are someone that does this in your unique way that kind of only you can do because of so I have a term that I use and it's actually a term I learned decades ago in a spiritual it was from a shaman but a Celtic shaman and um, in England and he talked about edge walking like yeah. how we the people that are really here to change things have always been on the edges of society. I've always never been in the center of things, always been on the edges. And that's because when you're on the edge, you can see further. You have the whole horizon. It's like you're up on the mountain top, seeing the, seeing the whole thing play out. But because of that, you're, we're also the bridge builders. And I hear that so clearly in, in, in our conversation today, Sean, is like your ability to walk the edges, not just of different worlds, but of what we believe is possible and not possible to push that membrane of possibility yeah. feels very much like on your path. And I'm just so like, I'm over here smiling and so grateful just knowing that you're in the world doing your work, following the energy and I'm, clearly surrendering fully to where it takes you. You know, I appreciate you saying that. Um, my mentor, <clears throat> Judy Neal, is. Uh, I know Judy so yeah. well. <laughs> so, 
well, this is, I mean, that's what- I this, love Judy, yeah. We, we all love Judy. I know. Um, it's the only She's person amazing. I've actually mentioned in this whole podcast. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, I, the way I see it is, you know, when we can tap into our divine giving gifts. Yeah. Most of us don't know what the hell we're doing with them. <laughs> right. Because right. we're not supposed to. The yes, only way exactly. we can discover how to use our gifts is when we come into community with others at a similar vibration. Yeah. And as we do that, we start to see the puzzle unfold before us. That is what we're meant to contribute to. We can't. So the one thing that's also, I think, important for men is we can't do any of this alone. Right. It's, it's not even like the lone ranger um, idea is something we have to break down. The, the work of the healing the global compassion and healing that's required requires us to break down any form of individualism and we have to move to the collective yeah. and we have to break out of our own lone ranger stuff. Yes. And that is, that is, that is, that is at the forefront of this. And so I, I just believe that, um, you know, yeah, I, and I, and I got early and, and, and I get now, um, that this is work that is mine to do. Yeah. Um, no one else, anyone else that's doing it, it's just going to look different. And people are going to be able to hear from me. So if, if there's another man in my community and he's getting the same message, it's because there's a certain other community that, that is supposed to hear what he does, what he, the message through him. Yes. Versus the message through you versus the message through Judy. Yeah. Um, and being able to um bring this forward in the ways that we can reach i mean my my goal for this work is you know i think i'm i'm giving a gross generalization of saying we've probably reached 370 men um with men's work right and i go well there are 3.7 billion men on this planet and I was talking to an elder in the men's workspace, and he said he was also a systems thinker. And he said, you know, a uh, tipping point for cult true culture transformation is 10%. So my magic number now that I bring out to everyone is how do we reach, how do we start to think about this, not from coaching, not from community, but from systems change, like working system by system by system by system. Right. How can we create scalable and impactful men's healing work? So we can start to reach 370 million men because that will be the gateway for us to then start coming together with women, coming together with those beyond the binary, those who are trans. So basically all humans to be able to start doing the humanity work of uh, shifting power, shifting leadership and shifting systems. Love it. I really love it. So um I'm noticing the time, so I'm going to bring our conversation to a close with just really one simple question. Yeah. You know, our, our listeners have been listening to our conversation, and uh, if there's anything that you wanted to share today, or anything that you feel is currently unspoken, that you some I don't know whether it's an insight, a wisdom, or just something to leave our audience with, what might it be? The first thing that comes to mind is. <clears throat> with the divine all things are possible this feels like an impossible challenge um when we can walk from fear into love and we can know that we are not doing this alone and that we are 
doing the work we're doing through spirit, through soul, through the divine, what, however it works for you. When if you're an atheist and none of this resonates, how you just bring humanity along and your trust and faith in humanity. That this is possible, but we have to move beyond our own fear. We have to move into our courage and we have to move into the surrender of the not knowing. And when we can do that, it liberates us into an energy that we can't even imagine. And from that energy, we can create possibility. And so that, that's what I would leave is because I feel like there's so many people out there right now and probably so many of your listeners who are the true change agents, who are true change agents, who get beat down by the systems that keep telling them no, but get beat mm-hmm. down by people who are cynical, who, 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 who get you to challenge yourself and say, am I, what am I doing? I, I, I can assure you, I have been on this path long enough now and I have, I have succumbed to those messages. I have walked away from this path numerous times and I've been brought back onto the path because I have no choice. And as I've done that, I realize, and then also this, te- this path will challenge you. It will take you to your darkest sides. It will take you to the pain of your own wounding. The thing that I've found is when I go the darkest, when I have gone the darkest, even to the point of being suicidal at points in this, there's an inner voice within me that says, keep going. And when I keep going, I walk out of that darkness and then I I deepen into another level of consciousness. I deepen into another level of possibility and I just keep walking. So what I would say is don't let others break you down. Don't trust the dark energy that's going to show up. That's going to test you when you have a vision that you know you have to bring into the world and don't do this alone and, and, and really find the community of cheerleaders and people that are vibing at your vibration and frequency that are going to get you. They're going to get your story. that are going to believe in you. And as they do, you are all going to be challenging each other and encouraging each other to manifest your own destined reality and your destined mission. So elegantly stated. Thank you, Sean. Honestly, I've so enjoyed our conversation today. And I just know that our listeners are going to feel inspired, maybe a little bit challenged, but really have enjoyed what you've shared. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And I've just shared with you all the ways to contact me in the chat box. Um, so that folks can uh, find me and, and if anything's resonated um, yeah. I'm always up for a conversation and even if you want to challenge me I'm there for that too <laughs> perfect and you'll find all the links below okay guys that is all we have time for today thank you so much for listening in And before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and the links that Sean just mentioned are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us to make a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach or consultant or changemaker wanting to grow your impact, you will need to understand how to build a business that works today. Check out Coaches Business School unique frameworks and methods to help you grow your business in a way that works for you and your clients and helps make a meaningful difference in our world. 
hashtag transition team. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. And together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and your efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.